0: Thank you, Jared, for reading our scripture tonight, and we appreciate your presence. We're thankful for the songs that we've been privileged to sing together, the prayer that has been offered, the opportunity to study. And tonight we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. We're going to look at some excerpts from these two chapters as we think about giving and worship. In previous weeks, we have discussed the various acts of worship and tonight we want to focus on giving as a part of worship and I want us to think about what is set forth in 2nd Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and also I would invite you to turn back to 1st Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 and 2 and we'll be looking at all of these passages in connection with our study tonight. We appreciate so much your presence tonight. To those of you that are visiting, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that we have. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have to meet together tonight to worship God, and it is certainly our prayer that our worship will be acceptable in the eyes of God and that we will be benefited from the time that we have to spend together with one another. I want to begin by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want to call attention to the first two verses of this chapter as we think about giving in worship to God. We understand that worship is a very important aspect of Christian living. And the Bible talks a lot about worship and the fact that we are in the presence of Almighty God. And really, the thrust of our worship is that we are giving God the praise and honor that He is rightfully due. The word worship itself means acts of reverence paid to deity. And so we begin tonight by first of all talking about the command to give. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, first of all, we have giving by precept listen if you would to what paul said beginning in verse one now concerning the collection for the saints as i have given orders to the churches of galatia so you must also do you have to understand that giving is a very important part of worship to god so much so that god commands that we give back Now you can go back and look at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and you'll read where God imposed upon the children of Israel certain obligations for them to give. Typically people talk about the tithe, 10%. But if you go back and you read the Old Testament, you'll find that in many respects they gave more than 10% in their giving to God. But it is a command of God. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, Paul would say that the things that he wrote were the commandments of God. And so our giving has been regulated, authorized by Almighty God. And then, if you would, note that giving is to be periodic. In verse 2, Paul said, on the first day of the week, that is, on the first day of every week, So we give by divine precept. That is, God is the one that has authorized, regulated our giving to him. And then we are to give periodically. Every first day of the week, we have the opportunity to lay by in store. Listen to what he said. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. As we think about the importance of worship, we understand that every act of worship involves the mind. It involves actions on our part. Again, the word worship means acts of reverence paid to deity. So we're giving God that which he is rightfully due. Now, sometimes people will oftentimes ask the question, well, what about if I only get paid biweekly Or monthly, how then should I give? Well, my response would be to think about it like this. We lay aside money for bills on a regular basis. And if giving is a part of worship, then we ought to have something to lay in the collection plate every first day of the week. Because if we don't, then we are robbing ourselves of that act of worship. So Paul here is saying you need to to lay by, in store, something for every first day of the week. Now you remember Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. To worship God in spirit is to worship him with the right attitude. The mind is engaged in the various acts of worship. That would also entail our giving as a part of that worship. And then giving is personal. Look again at verse 2. Paul said, on the first day of the week, let each one of you. We all have the responsibility to give, whether young or old. We have, we have been legislated by Almighty God to give back. Now think about it this way. God is the dispenser of all the blessings we enjoy in life. The song that we sang a moment ago, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, as James would say in James chapter 1, verse 17. The psalmist said, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings, in Psalm 68, verse 19. God is the one that has blessed us materially. Everything ultimately belongs to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in about verse 26, Paul said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. A citation from Psalm twenty-four, one, and the idea is that everything belongs to God. We are but stewards of that which we possess. Job said naked. He said naked came I into this world. Naked shall I depart? He said the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So ultimately, everything comes from God, and so we have the right or the privilege to give back and we're going to talk about the purpose behind our giving in just a moment but think think about how as stewards of God we ought to be responsible, we're accountable for that which has been entrusted into our care and so we want to maintain good stewardship Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2 that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful so Giving is a precept. We talk about giving periodically and then giving personally. It involves all of us. Now, turn over, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In chapter 8, we have the cases for giving. And really, we have two examples. The first has to do with the saints, the second would be the Savior. I wanna begin by talking about, first of all, the attitude for giving. The attitude behind giving. What kind of attitude should I have as a child of God when I come to worship on the first day of the week to give? Well, a couple of principles here. First of all, look at verse five, and really these principles not only undergird our giving in worship, but in many respects, they undergird the Christian life as a whole. In verse 5, listen to what Paul said, speaking of the church, the churches of Macedonia. He said, In this they did, not as we had hoped, but he said, First gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. When we give ourselves to God, in other words, when we give Him our heart, soul, and mind, everything that we have entrusted to Him, then giving's not a problem. Furthermore, service in the kingdom of God is not a problem when we give ourselves in totality to the Son of God. And Jesus said that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And He said, all these things shall be added unto you. And the word first there in Matthew 6.33 means before anything else in time or place of importance. So one of the reasons why these saints responded so favorably was because, as Paul said, they first gave themselves to God. You know what? We could turn the world upside down if every member of the body of Christ genuinely and truly gave themselves to the Lord. Then there's a second principle. Drop down if you would and look at verse 12. He said, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Now note the emphasis on a willing mind. Giving goes hand in hand with, first of all, giving ourselves to God. If we give ourselves to God, then monetarily speaking, giving back is not a problem. And then secondly, if we have a willing mind, we're more than happy to give back that which has been entrusted into our care. Furthermore, if we have a willing mind, we can do anything for the cause, can't we? So many times we talk about what we can't do and how we have limitations and obstacles and there are things that impede our service to God. Paul said, if there is first a willing mind. Jesus said, if any man wills to do his will, he will know the doctrine. A lot of what Christianity is all about springs from the heart. And really it's motivated, they're driven by love. And that motivation behind our love for God is a willing mind. Think about what Jesus did taking 12 men and teaching them schooling them for some three years. They had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. They could learn from him, from what he had to say, the great messages that he imparted. They could observe the miracles that he performed and then they were ready to turn the world upside down. and In Acts chapter 17, that was a charge made against Paul and Silas. that These men that have turned the world upside down have come here too. If we have a willing mind, And trust me, we can turn the world upside down. Now, note, if you would, their actions. Because they had the right attitude, their attitude was followed by the right actions. Back up and look at verse 1. In verse 1, Paul cites the example of the Macedonians. He said, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Historically speaking, the Macedonians were steeped in poverty. Historians state that there were at least three wars that plagued them. The churches of Macedonia had been persecuted. And so Paul here makes reference to the great trial of their afflictions and their deep poverty. And yet note, if you would, how the afflictions and the poverty that they faced did not impede their giving back to God. Paul said in verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And let me just pause there for a minute. When I look at this example, I think about people that were giving to the point that it hurt. Sacrificial, selfless giving. Have we as members of the body of Christ ever given to the point where it hurt? These folks did. Now let me cite for you a second example. The Savior. Drop down and look at verse 9. Now we talk about the saints and the fact that they gave back to the Lord. But here we have in verse 9 an example that Paul uses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now these saints were giving back to the church in Jerusalem. In verse 9, Paul cites Jesus Christ as the great example of one who gave all. First, his selfless gift, and then secondly, his sacrificial gift. Note, if you would, what Paul said. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. You ever thought about what the Lord gave up to come to earth? He was and is the second member of the Godhead. Jesus Christ has always existed. The Bible says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In verse 3, he said, All things have been made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus, as the second member of the Godhead, was the agent by which the world, as we know it, was made. In verse 14, John said that Jesus Christ, the second member of the Godhead, who has always existed, of whom Micah said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting or from the days of eternity. John said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In order for Jesus to come to earth, He had to have a human body, didn't he? And so in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, the writer there said, sacrifice an offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. A body was prepared for Jesus in the womb of Mary. And that which was conceived in her, as the angel said, was of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus literally emptied himself and as Paul would say, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself. Now you talk about a selfless act. The fact that deity would grace this earth with his bodily presence, of which he did. And then I think about his sacrifice. Paul said, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. What about his sacrifice? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 that Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. All of us are the beneficiaries of the death of Jesus, aren't we? Why do you think the Macedonians in their great trial of affliction and deep poverty gave as they did. Well, because they had the right attitude, because they gave themselves to the Lord, because they had a willing mind, yes. But I think more than that, because they realized what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had done for them. And what was that? Saved them from sin. You think about what the Lord has done for you. And all the things that he has done to bless your life. Could you ever give back enough? The answer is no. There's no way we could ever give back sufficiently to pay for what was done for us. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life as a ransom. For the many. And so Jesus is the supreme example. And as we give on the first day of the week. We would do well to reflect upon. The sacrifice of Jesus. In our worship service. In the order of our services. We always take up a collection. Following the communion. I understand that is a matter of expediency. But it does help to put into perspective the fact that the Lord has given to us. He gave himself for us. And now we have the opportunity to give back to him who gave to us. Now, if you would, turn over to chapter 9. And look at at chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. Here I want to talk about the criterion for giving. And there are two things I want I want to share with you. First of all, think with me if you would about the blessings of giving. Now Paul said in verse six But this I say he who who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Why do you give on the first day of the week? Why do we, as as members of the Lord's church, why do we give back every first day of the week? One reason is because God's commanded us to give back. But underlying why we give, there's a great purpose. Think about it this way. We give to bless others. When we give back, it's not so that we'll be blessed necessarily, but rather we're giving to bless the lives of other people. The work of the church is not cheap, is it? It takes a lot of money to do the Lord's work. Every congregation has to have a budget and Inherent in that budget is the fact that in order for the church to meet that budget, all of us have to partner together, so to speak. We have to understand that we have a part in the work of the church. So we talk about the work of the church and the funding that is necessary for the church to go forward. Now I said a minute ago that we give to bless others. It begins with evangelism, doesn't it? Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It costs a lot of money to evangelize. I think about the works that we have a part in evangelistically speaking. There are two parts to the Great Commission. There is the going and the sending. We can't all go. We can't all be evangelists in a foreign field, but we can all set aside funds so that those who will go and those who are going can be supported. And then you think about domestically, locally. The church here has a lot of money set aside for evangelism. We have radio work, television work, and then there are those of us that are supported to work here with the church. And so it takes monetary funding to make that happen. Add to that this aspect of edification, another work of the church. In order for the church to grow spiritually, the church has to be taught, doesn't it? Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So God's Word builds, it edifies, it has that ability, that power. There is a third aspect of the work of the church and that is benevolence. Reaching out, helping those who are in need. Now, granted, edification and benevolence ought to both tie back to evangelism. When we help people in need, sometimes we help those who are within the body. There are occasions when we have the opportunity to help those who are outside the body and in circumstances like that the intent ought to be to help them financially materially and then reach, reach them with the gospel so in Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 Paul said bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ in verse 10 he said as we have opportunity what are we supposed to do Help those who are in need. Let us, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men and especially those which are of the household of faith. In James 1, verse 27, when James talks about pure and undefiled religion, he said it's summed up in this. Visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. In other words, render them aid. Come to their needs. And so, As a body of believers, we have the opportunity to do that. So when you put money in the collection plate, every first day of the week, you're doing so with the intent of blessing the lives of others. It'd be amazing to know how many lives have been touched, reached, saved, strengthened by this congregation alone. We're just trying to do what God has entrusted us with and that is the work of the church. And then there's a second thing I want you to see very quickly, and that is our behavior in giving. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, Paul said, So then, let each one give as he prospers in his heart. Under the old covenant, there were regulations set forth regarding their giving. We talk about the tithe. The fact that there were stipulations given under the new covenant, which by the way is a better covenant according to Hebrews chapter 8. There is no ceiling when it comes to giving. You can give up to 100% of everything you have if that's what you choose to do. Everything ultimately belongs to God, doesn't it? So, you have the right, the opportunity to determine within your heart how much you're going to give back. And you need to think about how much you give back. And to do so with the right attitude. Now, listen, if you would, to what Paul said We're to give as we purpose in our heart. And then he said, Not grudgingly, that is, not of compulsion. When you give, it's not as if somebody is strong-arming you and saying, you better give back. We're not to give grudgingly or of necessity or by compulsion. And the idea is, we're not giving back with a sense of sorrow or grief. When he says, that we're not to give grudgingly. In other words, you ever seen somebody and they reluctantly give or help somebody out? Well, I'll give if I have to. No, we give with a heart that is cheerful, a heart filled with love, a heart that is desirous of giving back. And we're not giving so that we can impress others. We're simply giving because that's what the Lord has asked of us. So we don't give grudgingly, that is with grief or sorrow, or of necessity out of compulsion. Now listen to this. For God loves a cheerful giver. We ought to be grateful that we can give back. You ever thought about the world at large? Think about people that live in third world countries and sit down and try to put in into perspective what they have versus what you have. You and I, we are blessed beyond measure. There are people in our country today who based on statistical Evidence are said to be living in poverty people that live in poverty in this country would be viewed as wealthy overseas we ought to be thankful to almighty God that we live in this country you think about all the places that you could have been born you think about some of the third world countries that you could be living in not having adequate food, clothing, shelter, medical help, sanitation, the list goes on. And you live right here in America, blessed beyond measure. We ought to be grateful to God that we live in a country like this, and we ought to be glad to give back to a gracious God who has blessed us so richly. God has been a great benefactor to us. And so many times in our world, we think about what we don't have in light, or rather we think about what we don't have versus what we have. Get a pen, a piece of paper out this week and just start jotting down the things that you have. Things that that are not necessities, but we think they're necessities. You start putting into perspective all the things that you have in this world tell me God hasn't blessed all of us we ought to graciously give thankfully give Paul said in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 continue steadfastly in prayer watching therein with thanksgiving a thankful heart would you pray with me tonight our father in heaven we're so thankful for the many blessings that we enjoy And we're grateful for every good and perfect gift. And forgive us, Father, when we have taken for granted all the blessings that we enjoy in this life. And forgive us when we haven't given as we should. Help us to be better stewards and better givers. Help us, Holy Father, to be what you would have us to be. And help us to give so that the work of the church might go forward and that the lives of people around the globe will be blessed with the gospel of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, let me just say to you that God loves you. The Bible says in 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. And Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? If you do, the good news is... That you can become one of his children. What would you need to do? Well, you need to believe that he is the son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. You need to be willing to repent of your sins, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 3. To confess the name of Christ before others. And then to be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. As the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. When you do that, all of your sins will be washed away. According to Acts twenty-two sixteen, God will put you in the church. The assurance is that if you're faithful till death, God will bestow on you the crown of life. If you're unfaithful to his cause, we encourage you to come home tonight. To realize that God will abundantly pardon if you'll but come home. I want you to do that as we stand and sing.